Well, uh, it's uh, about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. And welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. Jim is off this week, which means he missed all these prime parking spaces that have just opened up because uh, it's the University of Michigan. Students have graduated, and many of them are moving on to bigger and better things in all kinds of places around the world. So congratulations to them. And uh, notice that uh, Charles Woodson was one of the honored speakers this year. Can't say too much about Charles Woodson other than greatest cornerback that ever played left corner in college and pro football. Look up the stats. Heisman Trophy winner, W. National Championship, one of the great greatest football players to ever play the game. Uh, and how interesting that LeBron James would uh, prove once again that he is the greatest player in the world. The Cavaliers have moved on. Anyway, that's the end of the sports talk. <laughs> and now we move on to uh, what pr- is going to prove to be a very interesting week, uh, probably in the history of Donald Trump's presidency. Uh, Later in the week, by the way, he is uh, apparently going to be an honored guest at the NRA convention in Dallas, Texas. And, of course, we saw a couple of months ago a uh, relatively robust movement here in the United States to uh, get some gun control moving. And there were a couple of things that nibbled at the edges here and there, but uh, by and large, everything has sort of gone back to the old normal, and uh, Trump will promise the NRA uh, that he's their man, and the NRA will run many, many TV ads uh, over the next several months uh, claiming that the Democratic Party is going to take your guns away, which, of course, is false, but... uh, Political advertising has never been honest, and it never will be. Of course, the big uh, move tomorrow, or the big event tomorrow, is the the trade uh, steel and aluminum tariff um, decision. Uh, it's interesting that Donald Trump met both Macron and uh, Merkel uh, last week, two of the big three of Europe. Theresa May continues to have political problems that we won't go into too much tonight, but obviously one of her cabinet, uh, top cabinet officials had to resign over some controversial policies involving immigration. Now, Macron and Merkel uh, are the heart and soul of the economic union, the EU, the European Union. And the European Union emerged after uh, the Second World War as a kind of a way of keeping Germany and France at peace. Uh, Germany and France had fought three wars uh, in less than 100 years. The Franco-Prussian War in the the 19th century is how modern Germany was created. And uh, wisely, the officials uh, in both West Germany and France decided that an economic union of Europe would be a good concept 
to move Western Europe forward economically, to promote easier trade within the, uh, the countries that initially joined. And let's remember that it was Germany, France, the Benelux countries, the, the three Benelux countries, that's Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg, uh, which is obviously a minor player in the global economy, and then Italy. Uh, it, Italy has had all kinds of unstable instability with their governments, and uh, they're not all that important in the global economy, but France and Germany still are. Of course, it's interesting that both France and Germany are signatories to the Iranian nuclear deal that's been in the news quite a bit uh, in recent uh, days because of the propaganda and nonsense surrounding North Korea and the summit. And I am all in favor of Korean talks uh, between South and North Korea that help lessen the tensions. And certainly if Kim Jong-un um, eliminates nuclear testing, that's a good thing. But let's not be fooled here by Donald Trump's uh, ex post facto claim that his... Uh, <clears throat> vociferous rhetoric somehow had something to do with Kim Jong-un going to the table. Uh, it's been widely reported, by the way, that the nuclear test site that North Korea has been using uh, these many years, they've tested six various weapons uh, at this site, actually is... Uh, doesn't need to be dismantled because it's in it's a pile of rubble already it's uh, disintegrated thanks to uh instability from the tests and then an earthquake and uh we certainly know about north korean nuclear tests because japan uh which is nearby is a heavy seismic activity area and they have very good, sophisticated, modern uh, earthquake uh, detectors in Japan. Of course, they had a gigantic earthquake several years ago that disabled a nuclear reactor that was on the coast and created all kinds of problems. On the 29th of, let's see, on the 28th, I'll just quote this here about North Korea. It says, North Korea, this report was filed by Mark Landler, Helene Cooper and Cho Sang-hun, who is probably uh, the Korean man on the ground. Helene Cooper has uh, been a very active uh, New York Times correspondent over the years, who's reported mainly from the continent of Africa. Uh, but I think she's moved on to a bigger, better position. I almost want to say that she's the great British, uh, she's the Britain, the London uh, head correspondent. But I'll have to check that one out. I think that was her, the promotion she got recently. And Mark Landler writes on uh, <clears throat> national security issues. So this is a joint article noting that North Korea fired an intercontinental, uh, intercontinental ballistic missile on Tuesday that flew both higher and longer than previous such launches, a bold act of, act of defiance against President Trump after he put the country back 
on a list of state sponsors of terrorism. Now, there were a lot of rhetorical exchanges between Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump uh, at the end of last summer. Uh, This is the famous uh, Rocket Man uh, comments by Donald Trump, who was eventually called a a dotard by Kim Jong-un. Nobody knew what a dotard was, so everyone had to look it up. And it certainly was a curious usage of the word dotard, though probably somewhat inaccurate in a kind of an interesting sort of way. Blaine Harden, for instance, on the 24th of uh, September, wrote about this whole uh, playground uh, spat between between Kim Jong-un and uh, Donald Trump noting, uh, with astounding technical felicity, it is building, this is North Korea, a weapons system that soon may be able to hoist hydrogen bombs into Los Angeles, Chicago, or even Manhattan. Meanwhile, two neophyte leaders with strange hair and thin skins are insulting each other in bizarre ways. President Trump has called Kim Jong-un rocket man and threatens to totally destroy North Korea. Mr. Kim called Mr. Trump a mentally deranged U.S. dotard and threatens to definitely tame him with fire. Trump made a comment about fire and fury, and he's now sort of interjected himself into the Korean peace talks, claiming that it was his bellicose threats and... um, you know, standing up and acting like an idiot that got the South Koreans to the table. Uh, I don't, and and the North Koreans, I I think that's inaccurate. I think that uh, South Korea had an election, and the new leader of South Korea, Mr. Moon, uh, is a little more inclined to negotiate uh, with Kim. And Kim, um, who's... Let's face it. I mean, this is a, this is a guy behind assassinations that have been perpetrated in many countries. Uh, North Korea is irrelevant to the global economy. Ninety uh, percent of their trade is conducted with China, and their only only significant exports are coal and seafood. <laughs> so, uh, um, and while seafood is uh, declining. Uh, as a product globally due to overfishing and environmental degradation. Um, I don't think that, uh, quote, easing sanctions uh, is going to be much of an accomplishment because uh, there's ample evidence that North Korea has been working around the sanctions using third-party cutouts. It's not that difficult to export coal and seafood, uh, especially when you have a long border with China. China's calling the shots here, not Mr. Trump. And minor little uh, concessions here and there are, are positive. They're, they're, they're good developments. And, of course, Kim Jong-un uh, made an overture during the Olympics. The Winter Olympics were held in South Korea. And I would say that that was a successful sort of opening gambit that worked. Uh, the South Koreans generously allowed some North Korean uh, hockey players to play on their team. And uh, the talks are going forward. But let's not be fooled about uh, what's really going on here. 
as I mentioned, uh, this nuclear test site, which is up in the mountains. So remember that in the Korean War, the United States lost about 33 to 35,000 um, soldiers. That this was a UN, um, shall we say, security event. Kim uh, Il-sung, the uh, original great leader of North Korea, invaded the South uh, on the 25th of June, 1950. And uh, eventually, and there's all sorts of controversies about the origin of the Korean War and whatnot, but let's remember that Korea was an occupied uh, territory. It was annexed by Japan in 1910, and uh, during the post-war and wartime negotiations between the Soviet Union, the United States, and Great Britain, and China, to a lesser extent, with Chiang Kai-shek as the negotiator, uh, Korea was one of those subjects that they were kind of reluctant to really talk about much. It was kind of shunted to the side as a, as a kind of a minor issue that would be settled at a later date. They eventually agreed to divide Korea into a northern and southern uh, um, countries, two separate countries. And, of course, the dividing uh, border was uh, became what's known as the 38th parallel. So whenever you hear discussion of the 38th parallel, that, of course, is a reference to the demilitarized zone. Trump... Uh, wants to meet in the DMZ for some strange reason uh, because he's trying to claim credit uh, for something that hasn't even happened yet. It's rather strange, but not surprising. And I noticed that Trump appeared in Michigan over the weekend and gave one at one of his sort of re-election rallies here in Michigan uh, during the uh, correspondence uh, uh, affair in Washington with the comedian who's uh, now being raked across the coals in various quarters. We'll get to her in, eventually. Um, because I don't think anything she said was anything worse than what Donald Trump has said hundreds of times to all kinds of people. She's actually functioning as a roaster at a comedy event. And yes, some jokes are not funny, to quote the Monty Python gentleman. That was not funny. Well, some of the jokes were. And it's a little bit uh, tiresome to listen to right-wing snowflakes, the word they love to use about political correctness, get all sensitive and all offended by some jokes that poke fun at their elitism, at their uh, absurd uh, statements and policy ideas. It got under their skin a little bit, thin-skinned. Well, it just shows that the right-wing political correctness has its own uh, brand of uh, snowflake sensitivity. So let's give a tribute out to those right-wing snowflakes out there that are so offended by this comedian's uh, performance in Washington on Saturday night. I've digressed, but in any event, how bizarre that at a Trump rally here in Michigan— on on Saturday night uh, that apparently was symbolically held in Washington Township, 
I don't even know where that is. I suspect it's in Macomb County. Um, but people in the crowd were shouting, no bell, no bell. And I'm like, huh? For what? <laughs> Talk about ridiculous. What they should have been shouting was 2.3, 2.3, 2.3. Uh, why do I bring that number up? Oh, well, how inconvenient for Donald Trump uh, over the uh, the past week. The Commerce Department uh, showed that uh, growth in the first quarter was 2.3. 2.3. 2.3. That's not quite 4% as uh, Donald Trump promised. And, of course, the numbers printed in Saturday's New York Times showing real economic growth show that there's been virtually no difference between Donald Trump's performance and recent years of Barack Obama. And that uh, <clears throat> the uh, well-advertised benefits of the tax cut have yet to uh, kick in. So 2.3 is a number to remember. Uh, that indeed may be revised a bit, but then so may some of the numbers from the end of 2017 uh, when uh, the American economy was operating under the budget of Barack Obama. Just real quickly on this economic stuff, because we're going to get some unemployment numbers at the end of the week. Um, <clears throat> the uh, Basically, the uh, figures show that holiday shopping in the final quarter of 2017 had revved up consumer spending, which accounts for more than two-thirds of the nation's economic activity, to 4%. Businesses responded by replenishing depleted inventories, but the shopping surge receded when the new year started. Consumer spending grew only 1.1% in the first quarter. Well, that's interesting. Where does the 2.3% come from? We don't know. You know, it's interesting around the country recently, there have been some teacher strikes. Uh, these strikes have been occurring, uh, not surprisingly, in, uh, in states that have been run by the Republican Party for quite some time. Teachers, of course, are grotesquely underpaid in, in this country. They are attacked relentlessly by politicians, most of whom can't hold a candle to a decent public school teacher in this country. Uh, they're underpaid, and they've been striking. They've been out on strike, demanding more money from various states. We've had strikes in West Virginia, Oklahoma, Kansas, and uh, most recently in Arizona. And, of course, in Kansas and Oklahoma, uh, who are states where uh, <clears throat> very, very um, palpable Republican economic statewide policies have been implemented for Literally decades, tax cuts, tax cut, tax cuts. The school children in these in these two states, Kansas and Oklahoma, in many many districts, are only going to school four days a week. They don't have the money to even keep the schools open, let alone pay the teachers properly to uh, educate uh, our next generation. Donald Trump will undoubtedly take credit somehow, for the fact that teacher pay in some of these states has gone up. 
and of course conveniently ignored in some of the uh, cheerleaders for Donald Trump's economic performance, is the fact that in both 2017 and 2018, there were many states around the, uh, around the country that increased the minimum wage. They did so at the ballot box by referendum. The people said, we need to increase the minimum wage because the minimum wage in America is not a living wage. It's uh, <clears throat> real economic purchasing power has declined profoundly over these decades. And we need to do something about it because the politicians won't. The politicians are interested in protecting the gun manufacturers, the defense contractors, the peddlers of guns, by the way, to Central America, where much of this violence is occurring that's creating these immigration problems. Um, those economic numbers, by the way, that was a, a report by Patricia Cohen. And I mentioned the 1.1% uh, increase in consumer spending, because if that's two-thirds of economic activity in the United States, it's kind of curious how the, uh, the growth rate was listed at 2.3%. So just the next time you hear uh, Trump's uh, base of angry white people who voted for Nixon twice, who voted for Reagan twice, who voted for Bob Dole twice. Bob Dole was on the 1976 vice presidential ticket as well as the presidential candidate in 96. And George Bush four times two men named George Bush uh, in the news recently because of not only the uh, death of Barbara Bush, first lady, but uh, <clears throat> some health problems with the elder Bush. Um, so some have even speculated that he contracted his, uh, his uh, <clears throat> infection because of a broken heart. Well, by golly, I hope it was a broken heart. That would be a great human interest story for the United States. But in any event, I mentioned these, uh, these, this, this group of angry voters in America who are responsible for the leadership that we've had in the United States for the last 50 years for the most part. They're the ones that voted for Nixon, Reagan, and the Bushes, and Dole. Dole turned out to be a two-time loser. And Bush, a one-time loser, uh, but uh, I don't know why they're complaining about the mess America's in. We've had very conservative policies in the United States for quite some time. That's part of the mess we're in. And while uh, you listen to this ranting and raving about the nuclear deal involving Iran, how bizarre that today Israel, which of course has a nuclear program, would interject itself into the Iran-North Korea nuclear uh, kerfluffles that are going on around the, <laughs> around the globe right now. Of course, Macron uh, addressed uh, Congress uh, the day after Trump, um, what, flicked some dandruff off of his collar and sort of embarrassed him in public? Kind of a moron does that. Uh, it's too bad Macron didn't have a kind of a backup comedy line to, to deal with Trump. 
I won't crack my Trump joke this week. I'll save it for another time, uh, perhaps in uh, response to the the snowflake problems of the far right in America, the far right elite who were so offended by the jokes of the comedian that appeared at the White House, uh, the White House Correspondents' Dinner that Trump, of course, attacked. So anyway, getting back to this North Korean problem, I don't know that it's occurred to Trump that if he backs out of the Iranian uh, nuclear uh, <clears throat> agreement, and let's remember that this is not an agreement between the United States and Iran. This is an agreement between Iran and the national, the United Nations Security Council, plus Germany. Germany was involved in the negotiations. So this was a seven-country deal on Iran. And the IAEA has made over 10 on-the-ground inspections in Iran, and all people agree that Iran is in compliance with this deal to the extent that there was a deal. Donald Trump has famously called this the worst deal of all time. Well, hardly. Um, and I know what's going to happen with this. It's the same thing that's going to happen with TPP and the Paris Climate Global Warming Accords. Donald Trump thinks he's a great negotiator and he's a tough guy. Well, when he pulled America out of the global uh, Paris Accords, a global warming agreement that was uh, pretty much agreed to by all the countries on the planet, the rest of the planet told Donald Trump, well, we'll see you later. We're moving on without you. We don't care. You're withdrawing. Sayonara, uh, to borrow a Japanese expression. When Donald Trump pulled out of TPP, the Australian Prime Minister called him up and told him, we're going forward with TPP. Indeed, just two weeks ago, Prime Minister Abe was in town, uh, concerned about these negotiations regarding South Korea and North Korea. Because, of course, if China is calling the shots, and I think they are, uh, Kim Jong-un's uh, um, proposal is going to be pretty simple. I'll dismantle my nuclear testing facility that, oh, by the way, has already been destroyed by our nuclear testing uh, tests as well as earthquakes. It's dysfunctional as a testing facility anymore in exchange for you removing your troops from uh, South Korea. And we're not going to talk about nuclearization and denuclearization, we're going to talk about demilitarization. And I wonder if Trump will agree to remove the American troops from the peninsula of South Korea. Because as we know, there are domestic political movements in South Korea to get the American troops off their peninsula. And indeed, one of the interesting things about what's actually been going on in recent weeks is that there have been protests in South Korea, not by the people that want to uh, demilitarize the Korean peninsula, but by old irredentist types who fought in the Korean War, who think that negotiating with North Korea is a disaster, who are wondering why America is betraying uh, them. 
And, of course, if the United States backs out of the Iranian nuclear deal, which Trump has indicated is going to happen, uh, that's in a couple of weeks, uh, it's, it's curious to me to f- why North Korea would believe the United States. The United States' credibility is what's going to be damaged uh, if they withdraw from the Iranian uh, deal. The rest of the world, and I'm talking about the other six countries involved in the uh, Iranian uh, deal, are going to tell Donald Trump, sayonara, fella. Uh, We're moving on without you. We did it with global warming. We did it with TPP. We don't care about your uh, domestic political problems where you're trying to uh, accommodate your uh, harebrained campaign promises. You know, one of the things that was bizarre from Trump's rally uh, in Michigan was the promises kept uh, banner that was uh, at the base of the lectern where Trump fulminated for 38 minutes or whatever it was. Uh, promises kept. Oh, yes, I keep forgetting about all these promises that Donald Trump has kept. Um, he hasn't released his taxes, has he? Um, he hasn't built a wall. Um, in fact, his immigration uh, policy was voted on by the U.S. Senate, and it got 39 votes. 39 is 11, 50 minus 11. That's the math. 11. 11, 2.3, 2.3. These are the numbers we need to uh, use to confront Donald Trump. Donald Trump's immigration policy is in shambles. He keeps fulminating about immigration, and he has yet to do one thing to change one aspect of any law of immigration. He doesn't understand how the system works. He hasn't read the American Constitution. Uh, it's fascinating, by the way, that the... Um, Supreme Court heard a case last week about the travel ban, but the travel ban is not immigration policy. And we don't know how that's going to turn out. But how interesting that just two weeks ago, in probably the most underreported story of the week, Neil Gorsuch voted with the four liberals on an immigration immigration, uh, ruling about who has the power. And Trump lost. Now, wait a minute. Trump appointed Neil Gorsuch. Neil Gorsuch wasn't supposed to vote with the liberals. This was a a Supreme Court case that had been tied four to four. And guess who cast the deciding vote against Donald Trump? Neil Gorsuch. Just to remind you, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Thanks to Andrew for engineering this week. Yazoo City calling will be coming up next on this fine station. As for gun violence, which Trump won't talk about, the analysis by the Global Status Report on Violence Prevention 2014 published last week in the Pan American Health Organization reported that the highest homicide rates were in Honduras, Venezuela, Jamaica, and Belize with the Honduran rate, 104 killings per 100,000 people, nearly double that of the next deadliest company countries. By contrast, the lowest homicide rates in the Americas were in Canada, Antigua, and Barbuda, and Chile. Canada was less than two per 100,000. The homicide rate in 